The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue looking at the steadfast servant in Isaiah's servant songs, we see that not only was the son steadfast in his commitment to the redemption of his people, but the father was also steadfast. In fact, the entire Godhead was steadfast in the covenant of redemption. And if we would live a life of steadfast assurance, we must look to God and lean upon him. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. When
was planning to go back to the book of Hebrews tonight, but I felt a strong unction of the Lord, and I hope it was of the Lord, that we go back here to this this third servant song, and that we uh, maybe, uh, for a few minutes at least, consider some things that we kind of had to rush through at the end of the service this morning. So some of it may be just a little repetitious, and I am going to review quickly, because everybody that's here tonight wasn't uh, here this morning. But, uh, but I do want to, uh, hopefully with the Lord's uh, leading, go back this, to this chapter. In the 50th chapter of Isaiah, we find the third servant song in Isaiah. And that sort of, we talked about that, uh, that uh, chapter 42 uh, and verses 1 through 9 is the first song of the suffering servant that we find. And that's what I've called the song of the chosen servant. Uh, mine elect where he's called there and then in Isaiah chapter 49 in the first 13 verses we saw uh, the second servant song of Isaiah which I've called the song of the successful servant because he successfully completed the task that he was sent to do and today we begin looking this morning at the third servant song of Isaiah which is the song of the steadfast servant, the steadfast servant. And we see in each of these three songs, and we'll see the fourth one, hopefully, eventually, uh, that these are all songs set within the book of Isaiah, uh, of Isaiah's prophecy that were inspired by God. They're not they're not something we take out of the book of Isaiah or that somebody inserted into the book of Isaiah. They're part of Isaiah's prophecy. And these songs all reference that suffering servant. And they, uh, they didn't necessarily, I said this morning, they didn't necessarily understand that, all the details of what this was really pointing them to even back in those days. But as we look back on it, we understand that these songs of Isaiah, these servant songs are pointing us directly to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the last one is going to come primarily from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, which is a, sometimes we call the gospel according to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Who hath believed our report? Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Uh, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, clearly pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this one today we talked about was the song of the steadfast servant, the the, the summation of this song, the summation of this chapter, in fact, here in chapter 50 is verse 7, where he says, Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. The Lord Jesus Christ set his face like a flint toward Calvary. He would not be deterred. He would not be dissuaded. He could not be denied the hill of Calvary. And we've seen this morning about how in the beginning of this chapter, the first three verses, which really aren't part of the song, but they set the context showing the confusion of the people of God, the disobedience that, that caused this confusion. And then we saw the knowledge of Christ in verse four, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. We saw that Jesus Christ had the necessary knowledge to save us eternally, and he has the necessary knowledge to save us in time. And you know, that's glorious, isn't it? You know, that's one reason none of us could do it. 
None of us could save ourselves eternally. We didn't know enough. We don't know how to do it. We had, no, you know, we talked about this morning all the pagan uh, schemes of salvation, all the all the things that the pagans came up with. None of it could ever achieve true salvation. Even the Egyptians, who could embalm a body better than we can do it today, all they could do is preserve the dead. They could not bring eternal life. <laughs> but the Lord Jesus Christ knew. And the way he, it had to be done is a way we'd have never figured out, Brother Craig. He, he had to come down and become a man. He had, to, he had to die the death of the cross. He had, to, he had to have our iniquities placed upon Him. He had to become sin for us. Jesus Christ had the necessary knowledge to save us. He not only knew how to save us, He knew exactly how many too. We saw that this morning as well. As many as. You know, you want to know how many are in the covenant of salvation? As many as the Father has given him. <laughs> I love that. I don't have to worry about it. Did I, did I get another one saved? Did I, did I help that one or did I deter him and send him to hell? No, I don't have to worry about that. I have a great zeal to preach the gospel. And all these preachers here have a great zeal to preach the gospel. But it's not because we're trying to get just one more into heaven. <laughs> Wait a little longer, please, Jesus. There's just one or two more that we got to get into heaven. No, I don't pray that prayer. I don't sing that song, wait a little longer, please, Jesus. Lord, come back today. Even so, come quickly. Because I'm not worried about him losing one. He said he will not lose a one that the Father has given him. All that the Father has given me shall come unto me. Amen. I'm so thankful for that. And then we saw the steadfastness of Christ that I've already mentioned. He went with absolute certainty to a shame-filled death and suffering on the cross. But he went with steadfast resolve. He set his face like a flint. He, he, didn't, he didn't come down when he could have called more than 12 legions of angels. I know we've talked about it this morning, but I just got to share it again. It's so glorious. A legion we've discovered with 6,000 soldiers, 6,000 angels. 12 legions would be 72,000 angels. One angel could kill 185,000 Assyrians back over in 2 Kings. 72,000 angels could kill 13,320,000,000 people. And there wasn't that many people on the earth in that day. They could have wiped us out. But he didn't come down because he loved us with an everlasting love. And that's sort of where we reached the climax this morning. And I want to go back now and talk about the rest of this chapter, the rest of this servant song that we didn't really deal very deeply with. And I feel like we need to. So we've seen the steadfastness of the son, verse seven, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, shall I not be confounded? Therefore, have I set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be ashamed. But then we began to see in verses 8 and 9 the steadfastness of the Father. Now remember, it's, we, it's hard for us sometimes to, to, to grasp the, 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 the idea of the Godhead, of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I like to put them in their proper category. God the Father over here. God the Son right here in the middle. God the Holy Spirit over here on the right hand but the truth is they're one god you know there's where does the father end and the son begin well he doesn't end and, and the son begin because the son doesn't end and 
Some the Holy Spirit, but I, I can't put it all together. I can't grasp it. I can just believe it because the Bible teaches it. <laughs> and that's the point here. He's teaching us even here the complete unity of the Godhead. The complete unity. Verse back in verse seven, the very first part of that verse. For the Lord God will help me. This is the suffering servant, the Messiah Himself, God the Son, saying, "The Lord God will help me." I know my Father will help me. Why do I know my Father will help me? Because I and my Father are one. They're the same. And notice he says, therefore shall I not be confounded. See, it's important that God the Father and God the Son are on the same page because otherwise one of them could be confounded. If they're not on the same page, then... One that was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world might have missed out on the blood of Christ when he died on the cross. If they're not on the same page, God the Son, Christ, might miss one that God the Father had predestinated to be conformed to his image. See, but they're on the same page. That's why, that's why God the Son, Christ himself, could say, I didn't come down here to do my will. I came down here to do my Father's will. You know, it makes it sound subservient, doesn't it? But it's not subservient when their wills coincide. <laughs> They're exactly the same will. You know, I'm not being subservient if I say that I'm doing exactly what Brother Buddy wants me to do tonight, which is to preach the gospel. Because my will and his are on the same page. I'm, it's not because he's some greater one or I'm some lesser one or vice versa. When he gets up to preach, he's not preaching. He, he, not, he can get up here and say, I'm doing exactly what Brother Chris wants me to do. What does Brother Chris want me to do? I want him to follow the will of the Father. And that doesn't mean because I'm some greater one and he's lesser, you see. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are completely unified. You see, if he hadn't been God himself, he might have been confounded. But praise God, he is God. Verse 8 now, he said, He is near that justifieth me. No truer statement has ever been spoken. You remember in John chapter 11 over there when he went to the grave of Lazarus and he got to the point where he's about to, he's about to raise him from the dead. Christ, looked, Jesus lifted up his eyes, we're told. And he lifted up his eyes, and this is what he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Okay, now that's something that might be a unique statement if I said it, because, you know, maybe he hears me, maybe he doesn't. But notice what, God, what Christ said next. He said, and I knew that thou hearest me always. I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stood beside him out there, he said that he made that statement to prove again to us that there's complete unity in the Godhead. And I want you to listen to this. You might turn with me back over to Psalm chapter 16. There's an interesting passage there, and we're going to see that it's not just listed here, but in Psalm chapter 16 and verse 8, Here's another messianic reference. And we know that because we're going to turn over in a moment to Acts chapter 2 and read it again. In, Acts, in Psalm chapter 16 and verse 8, this is what David says, but really it's what Christ is saying. I have set the Lord, that's God the Father, always before me because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. 
Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. That's an interesting statement there. And, And we certainly realize that it's David speaking here directly. But it's Christ that is being referenced, and therefore it's Christ that's speaking. You know, this is, it's amazing all of the little foreshadowings and prophecies of the incarnation of Jesus Christ that you find in the Old Testament. The Jews couldn't accept that. They, they some, many today still can. They say it, it's not taught in the Old Testament. Here it is. Christ is saying, my flesh, well, at this time he didn't have a body. A body was prepared for him. But he didn't have a body yet, but he's already saying, my flesh, me as a man, my me being a man, I shall rest in hope. Why? For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 2 now. Say, what's that really talking about, preacher? Well, we don't have to wonder. I've always said, as Brother Buddy many times has said, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. On the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching, and in Acts chapter 2, in verse 25, he says, For David speaketh concerning him. See there? You say, Preacher, I thought you were off when you were telling me that back over in Acts, or Psalm 16, that was talking about Jesus. There was no, no reason for you to say that. Well, the reason I say it is because Peter said it. He said, this is talking about Christ. David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption." Now, we're not going to keep reading there because that's not the purpose of our, our, our preaching tonight. But understand there's more to that. And ultimately, he comes down and he describes exactly what this is talking about. In verse 30, he says, well, verse 29, he says, David's dead and buried. His sepulcher is with us. You know where his grave is. But he was a prophet, we're told in verse 30, and that and that this is a prophecy in verse 31 he says he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his that his soul was not left in hell neither his flesh did see corruption this Jesus hath God raised up whereof all we all are witnesses now here's my point about that this is a reference to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ And going back over here to uh, Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 8, remember what he said, He is near that justifieth me. Beloved, God the Father was so near to God the Son that he delivered him from the grave. He resurrected him from the dead, you see. See the complete unity of the Godhead? Isn't it glorious? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't praying, Lord, don't let me have to go to the cross. He was saying, Lord, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to drink the cup of your wrath. And normally for a human being, that means I must spend eternity in hell in order to satisfy the wrath of God. But you've promised me that if I'll come down here and I'll become a man and I'll become like them, that is, have a body of flesh, and I 
I walk these dirty roads of this, this graveyard earth and I'll go to Calvary and I'll lay down my life that I will not have to drink that cup of wrath for eternity that it will pass from me. And I'm just praying, Lord, that you'll keep your promise. He knew he would. Most of that was for our benefit. He was in great agony. Don't discount that. But he knew he would keep his promise. And he did. <laughs> he did. And therefore this steadfast suffering servant could say, I've set my face like a flint and I'm going to go to Calvary. <clears throat> Behold, or he is near rather, in verse 8, that justice justifieth me. Now, he says... Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. And I want to come back to the contending part, but notice he says, let us stand together. Now there's not many things you can count on in life, but the complete harmony of the Godhead is one thing you can count on. They stand together. One of the problems I've got with all these other translations out there is that 1 John 5 and verse 7 isn't in them. 1 John 5 and verse 7 tells us that there are three that bear record in heaven. God, it's the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. You know, somebody says, well, one plus one plus one adds up to three. It's not just one. Well, one times one times one is one. <laughs> so I don't know what your math says, but I know the holy math says that they're one. Three are one. These three are one. In Colossians 2 and verse 9, we're told that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, speaking of Christ. The word fullness there is literally a reference to that which is filled up, okay? It's as if when Christ was born in that stable in Bethlehem, he was already filled up with all the fullness of the Godhead. And that's the way he could tell Philip when they asked, you know, Lord, show us the Father. He said, have, you, have I been with you this long? And, and you don't know? You're looking at Him. I, I know I'm paraphrasing. Go read it in John chapter 14. But He's saying, when you see Me, you've seen the Father. He's, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We're told in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, He's the express image of His person. I spent some time on this in a sermon not too long ago. I just want to touch on it tonight. But understand that that word, that Greek word there for express image is the Greek word that we get our word character from. It, indeed, it is character is the, is the Greek word. And it means the identical image. You know, when it talks about us being uh, made in His image, it uses a different word. We'll never be the character of God. But Jesus Christ could be the character of God because He was God and He is God. And that means that there is no aspect whatsoever in which the Godhead acts in opposition to Himself. Not to beat this into the ground, but turn with me to John chapter 6 and let's look at it, just one more little aspect of this. In John chapter 6 and verse 37, very familiar passage, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. But look at verse 38. For I came down, this steadfast servant, he came down, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. 
And we've already seen that there's no disagreement, no disharmony in the Godhead. So what is, what is going to happen? What is Christ going to do? Well, here it is, verse 39. This is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. He's not going to spill any out of that big bucket of salvation. Like I spill water when I fill it up too much. <laughs> He's going to lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. And by the way, verse 40 there, you know, verse 39 is sort of a, view from the father's perspective look at verse 40 and this is the will of him that sent me this is not a different will this is just a restatement of the will that he's already given here that everyone which seeth the son and believeth on him may have everlasting life and i will raise him up at the last day and what that's talking about is from our perspective you know what you can have absolute certainty in my, my beloved you can have absolute certainty in your salvation if you find yourself in the condition of believing in Him. Praise God for that. Now, I don't mean you'll never doubt. That's not what I'm talking about. But in the times when you see Him, you know, now when you've got your eyes and your vision on your work and your eyes and your vision on your recreation or on your problems or on the storms of life like Peter did out there, you're not going to have that assurance. You know, Peter was absolutely assured of his eternal salvation as he looked upon Christ, standing there as he was walking on the water. When he got his eyes upon the waves and the wind, he lost that assurance. He didn't lose his eternal life, praise God, but he lost his assurance. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.